Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, folks, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Every week we bring you trending topics in the wine world. And these days we have been bringing some excellent guests to our radio show. So Mark and I are very excited to welcome back Vince Anter from V is for Vino to our show. How are you doing, Vince? Uh, doing so well. Thanks for having me back on. I, uh, I've been looking forward to this. Excellent. It's been a while, Vince. It's been like almost a year since we talked to you last. And it's always a pleasure to have you on the show and let our listeners know what's new with you and V is for Vino. And uh, we covered seasons one to three last time. And since then, you've completed a huge season, season four. And Kim and I have a ton of questions for you, Vince, to with some big areas you went to. I'm really jealous again of your travels. I think we should refresh our listeners' memories about what you're doing. You have a travel wine show where every episode you go to a different wine region uh, or food region throughout the world, and it's a one-hour TV show. And you said mostly on YouTube these days. Yeah, that's that's kind of been the easiest way to to promote it. You know, we used to, and we still are on some other platforms, including Amazon Prime. But you know, we just found that YouTube's an easy way. Everybody has YouTube. It has a Mm -hmm. good international reach. It's an easy way for everybody to see it. Well, it's a really fun show to get people to sort of travel along with you and see these different places. But your method of wine education is just so warm and welcoming. And it's just a a real pleasure to watch, uh, even as somebody who's like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. Still, it's like, oh, that looks so nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm I always say I'm always learning, you know, when I'm doing the show, when I'm researching the show, even if it's things that maybe I learned back in when I was in restaurants or taking my SOM exam, we're never quite solid enough as we'd like to be. And I know there's a lot of people who watch our episodes several times because I try and pack a lot of information in, mm-hmm. in you know, one hour long episode. Mm-hmm. On that point of what Kim was saying about how educational it is, I'm always learning something new, Vince. And I like to like put your show as something that it's my treadmill show. It's one that I could put on and I just don't want to turn it off. And it keeps me exercising more because I'm watching and watching and watching and I cannot turn it off ever. So mm-hmm. I, I thank you for that. Great. Content yeah, I like that always. treadmill show. Treadmill yeah. Show. <laughs> my treadmill show. The first episode, season four, you went to Portugal. I'm always excited when I watch when you're in an area and you're interviewing winemakers and you're actually talking and holding and drinking the wines that I buy and sell in my store. And that happened with the Gazelle Vino Verde, and you had a spice root uh, red blend. And I wanted to kind of follow up. When you talk to people about Portugal and Portuguese wines, are you seeing this as like one of the most phenomenal values in the wine world right now, quality-wise and price points? Yeah, 100%. I... I'm a little worried it's going to go the way of Beaujolais, right? Like when I started drinking mm. wine, you could get great Beaujolais for 15 bucks and now they're all like 30. But Portugal makes 
a fair amount of wine is the thing. It's not a region, it's a country, right? And they're really trying to distinguish themselves as not just producing this light spritzy vino verde, and, but rather trying to make some of those higher end wines, you know, the Alentejo Big Rich Reds or the Douro Valley Ageable Reds. And so I think that's what's really fun about Portugal is that there's really a wide variety of price points and styles while still drinking, I'd say, 30% less from a price perspective than most other places in the world. Yeah, they are still such great values, both with the reds and the whites. I think one of the benefits of having a show like yours go to someplace like Portugal is that it's still really, really hard for folks in the American market to really wrap their brains around what am I getting in this bottle when you look at that label. Have you seen or kind of thought about how the new it's not really new, but you know the market appreciation for red blends has kind of translated maybe into some more interest in these wines from Portugal? Or do you think that it's more that they're affordable and they're yummy and not so much that they are this concept of blends? That's a good question. You know, what I would say to that is I think just in general, you're seeing consumers, especially I think some of the younger generation want more authenticity to their wines more than anything, rather than like, hey, I want to blend or I want the single grape. I think they like that the grapes are authentic Portuguese grapes. Mm -hmm. I talk about that in the episode that they didn't go plant a bunch of international grapes like most other countries in the world, even Spain, that has a fair amount of their own. You know, we think Tempranillo and Grenache are kind of quintessential Spain, but then they do plant a lot of international grapes. Portugal does none of that. And so I think what a lot of people are drawn to with Portuguese wine is that authenticity. Yeah, I completely agree. We we do seem to be having this demographic change in what people are looking for if they're folks in their 20s and 30s versus folks in their 40s and 50s or a little bit older. And I think that Portugal still has that kind of magic to it in that it is this almost like undiscovered country, you know, of all of these fascinating things that do have that authenticity to them. So, yeah. And I also hope people go visit because, I mean, I've had that too. So many people watch the episode and they're like, and I felt this when I went before the episode, I went maybe six, seven years ago. And I was like, why are more people not going to this country? And it's not like it's a completely hidden gem, but I think it's definitely after Italy, Spain and France for most people. Mm -hmm. And to me, I would put it at the top of the list. I mean, it's such a a one still value driven country, both wine and food, but it's also really accessible. It's the closest country, European country to the U.S. They all speak English very, very Mm -hmm. well, and they're open to being kind of accommodating and helpful and they're friendly people. And I don't know, it's just a really great country and it's got some really fun history to explore. So I I hope more people go visit. It was a great start to the season too. And I was a little nervous thinking of how are you going to work in port into the Portugal, but then the smart as you are, Vince, you created another whole episode, episode seven of the season. You went to Porto, right? Portugal. It's in Covered yep. Port. And I thought you did an excellent job when you covered the styles, but also bringing to the attention of White Port and the significance over there. And it's a trend I wish Vince here that people would really look into. 
as far as cocktails. What was your thoughts on White Port? In addition to White Port, which is an amazing cocktail apparatus, you know, just the White Port and tonic or, or mixing it and using, you know, White Port as your sugar for, for a cocktail. Talk to George Sandeman, who's I think eighth generation of that company, Sandeman Port. He talks about, and we had a longer conversation even off camera about Port used to be this great cocktail mixer and it kind of got lost. It kind of became a thing that stands alone and this misunderstood beverage. But the idea that it's like some new thing is not true at all. It's kind of a, a revival thing, just like a lot of the pre-prohibition cocktails we're seeing now, the old fashioned and things like that have really gained popularity. Well, ports like that too. They were using port in cocktails. And so that was a really interesting thing for me to learn going in thinking of port as one thing, right? I thought of it as a dessert wine. You do do quite a bit of that sort of myth busting <laughs> throughout your whole show and throughout the whole season. That's something that I found very intriguing about not only the port episode, but talking about Rio Spicius in northern Spain, which I think is a region that people know the name and they know the word Albarino, but is still a little bit one of these um, sort of mystery kind of grapes. Well, what an interesting place. I say it in the outro of the episode is like they only do the one grape. I mean, 90 percent of the wine they make is white and 95 percent of it is Albarino. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't think of another region that just does one single grape. Even Burgundy has a red and a white, you know. So it's pretty cool that they've just devoted to it. And then the other thing that I found just shocking was how versatile the, the styles were. I always just thought of it as this light seafoody, you know, seafood pairing wine that's crisp uh, and a little salty. But I had some of the older vintages and some of the ones that had spent a long time on the Lees and they had this richness that would rival a lot of kind of old world Chardonnays. So it was really fun. Yeah, it's either that light, fresh style or that highly aromatic sort of floral style of Albarino. I don't think that we appreciate that it is a wine that could age and develop those sort of funkier tertiary characteristics because we're always taught, you know, this is a white grape that doesn't to age very well. Um, so yeah, it's fun to hear that you were able to experience some of that and just see how different it can get. Yeah. And then just the region in general is so different than the rest of Spain. You know, it, it, it's its own little microcosm of Celtic culture meets mm -hmm. Spanish. It's got this rainy influence. It's green and lush. It was interesting to see. I didn't go in with any expectations to this episode. You know, I go to, you know, Bordeaux. I I kind of know what I'm going into, but I went into Rio by just very, very blank slate and was really blown away. I was really jealous of the food, both in the Rio Spicious episode and the Portugal episode. <laughs> so I'm like, I really would like a dish of that. <laughs> yeah, the seafood there, and it's yeah. just it's just lights out. That's that's their thing. They they are just great with seafood because they have this. Uh, they have the salt water from the Atlantic meeting the fresh water from the the rivers and such from from Spain. And so when you mix that, you get like this perfect habitat for marine life. Mm. That show you had, I thought it's one of your best lines ever used in a show when you said it makes no sense on paper talking about <laughs> the grape and that you need to go there, you need to drink it to understand it. And I thought that was just a, a great way to put when you're exploring things in the wine world that you showed how the the younger versions and then the age versions, you're saying the, the ones that are on the leads. There's so many different styles and you brought us there and you explored them all. And it really gave an understanding to what you were saying that it makes no sense on paper. 
Well, also that the grape, I mean, I don't know. It's really, I, I met this a little bit when I just did our Virginia episode, which I guess we can get into eventually, but the grape is, you know, it's so wet and kind of humid and hot there and sticky. So grapes don't like that. I mean, we just, grapes like breezes and, and cool climate and that, you know, you have all this mold and mildew and stuff that'll happen in those conditions, but Albarino adapted to be able to withstand a little bit of that with thicker skins and they they built the trellis system in Rio Spicha mm-hmm. so that you could get more wind to the grapes. So again, like doesn't make sense that we should be able to make wine there, but they do. I had a follow up on Kim's question too, when mentioning food, because Kim's a huge foodie too. And all <laughs> your shows, you're incorporating food. When you were in Spain, you tried barnacles, correct? Yeah, yeah, the I did. You always seem to enjoy everything you try. And I always wonder, is there ever a time you tried something, you had to totally cut it out because you just didn't like it? Or do you really really enjoy all these phenomenal foods that you're trying all over the world. Yeah. What's funny is when I was a kid, I was like really, really picky. And now as an adult, there's not much I do. I try that. I don't like, no, I haven't gone anywhere that I've had super intense dishes by any means. I think some of the stuff may look adventurous, like the barnacles, but it's still a pretty safe dish. They, that, that is pretty widely accepted in that culture. It's not like raw animal heart or anything like that. <laughs> you're not eating uh, any haggis. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that being said, I try and leave everything in there and give my genuine reaction. I think I mentioned it in that episode. I had the razor clams raw yeah. and I was like, this is fine. Like I didn't, I didn't need more of those by the end of the scene, um, but I didn't hate it either. It was just kind of like, uh, the text is kind of weird. And, you know, I think I like some of this other stuff better. I know you mentioned in another show that you had some staff to travel with you that over time being with you, you were getting them to try different dishes and and uh, they were also exploring their palates too with food because of all the things you were doing. Yeah, that's just my fun thing to me because, you know, I worked in restaurants and I, I was exposed to a lot of different cuisines and I always was trying to go out to more adventurous places, but some of the crew, they might be a little more on the beaten path. So one cameraman in particular, Colin, I took him to France on our Southern Rhone shoot, which is coming out later this year. And I was like, we have to hit all the French staples because it's his first time there. I was like, we got to do foie gras. We got to do escargot. We got to do all the big ones and then see where he's at. So that's always fun to me. I do that with everybody too, not just my crew. Like (laughs) when people come over, if they don't want to try things, I aggressively push them to try whatever I'm cooking. I just, I think that's just so fun. I'm afraid I do that to people too. (laughs) (laughs) No, you will eat this for dinner. I actually get upset if people won't try it. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't yeah. even care if you have a bite and you just, you're like, that's enough for me. But if you don't try it, I like lose my mind. So like, I, I be a good guest, will ya? <laughs> you're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. Today, we have a very special guest, Vince Anter of Vias for Vino. If you'd like to follow Vince, just go to his website, it's viasforvino.com. For more information about Kim, please go to commonwealthwineschool.com. For more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. We are a program that is 
supported by the Franklin Public Radio. And you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at The Wonderful World of Wine. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with our special guest, Vince of V is for Vino. And we've been talking about season four of his shows. Next, Vince, I guess we got to go to Provence. You went to Provence, France, the great rosé region of the world. And uh, I think what surprised me in this one, Vince, was you said of all the places you visited, this is where you wanted to retire. Is that mm. still true? Yeah, you know, I maybe early at the very least have a uh, a summer home, right? I think would be pretty nice. <laughs> One can dream. Uh, it just has this energy there that is... I went there as a kid. I went there when I was in college and it was one of the first places that felt kind of like it had this beach meets cuisine meets French culture. It just had all of it for me. I would want in a place like that. And then when I went back again and I got to explore it more and this time I got to bring my wife and she got to explore it with me. It really is just a, a special place. The French lifestyle is a thing, you know, that relaxed European lifestyle everybody talks about that is true. And it's hard to describe until you get down there and see it yourself. I love that there seemed to be this understanding of the traditions of the region, but then also kind of this recognition that suddenly their wines have become very much more trendy on the world market that, you know, they hadn't really been prior to 15, 20 years ago. Sort of recognize that, okay, so maybe the branding and the marketing and like what Domain Ott was doing with their bottle shape and things like that were important, but then also recognizing like, well, we know what we're doing because we have been doing this for so long. So we have the history there. It's not like we we've just come up with this brand new thing. You know, this is something that we have the experience with and this is part of our culture. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing rosé forever. And Thousands what's years, interesting right? about, yeah, but what's so interesting about Provence is they, unlike I think Ria's Bajas, like they probably could do other grapes, like yeah. could do red wines. They could make that a thing and they make a small amount, but I mean, it's a small amount. Um, they can make white wines. I mean, all a lot of these these grapes could be used to make whites. And again, they make a small amount, but they know what they're good at, right? This is the brand. This is what we do. Mm -hmm. and, and we're sticking to it. I wanted to talk about your episode four, uh, Vince, Chicago. Now, I, I learned a lot that you was your your college town you went to college there and you visited it. it must have been nice for you to go back there but you also covered prohibition pizza the italian beef sandwich well the highlight for me of the show Vince, was when you were talking about buying a wine in a store and, and promoting shop small can you give a little view on your whole view on shopping small for wine yeah i mean the i can give you a quick elevator pitch on why it's so important I, I preach it very, very hard. It's probably the thing I get the most pushback on, funny enough. I think a lot of people are used to their routine of buying in a grocery store. And, you know, the problem with grocery stores is that wine is not a commodity, or at least it shouldn't be. Uh, it's a crop. And when you have big box grocery stores, well, they have to buy enough wine to fill every single one of their stores with the exact same brands. And so what you end up getting is a wine that's heavily manipulated. They also put wines on the shelves in grocery stores that don't really have a lot of character. They're meant to be ubiquitous. They're meant to be unoffensive. It may look like you have a lot of options, but one, they all kind of taste like dark fruit and a hint of oak. And two, 
a lot of them are owned by the same companies and it, they just have put different brands. They slap different labels on. Them. And so when you shop small, one, you avoid all those problems because they can buy small allocations, a couple cases here, a couple cases there. They can get wines that are very distinct. So when you come in and say, hey, listen, I like really funky wines, really earthy, dirty wines. You can find that in a smaller shop. Whereas the grocery store is not going to stock it because if somebody grabs that bottle by mistake, they're going to hate it. And they're going to think that that grocery store doesn't know what they're doing. And then you get actual staff that knows the wines. They're storing the wines better. You're supporting small business. Like it's a win, 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 win down the chain. And you don't have to spend more money, by the way. Everybody thinks I'm saying spend more money. That's not what I'm saying. I just think it's really important to shop at wine shops. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, passionate this is, this on it. So I can, we, I can speak on it. This is something we preach all the time. Sort of the anti-big corporate bottling of wines and that you definitely can get more interesting things, more unique things. And you're supporting small businesses, not just the wine store, but the the wineries, the winemakers themselves. And I think that's one of the highlights of your show is that even though there are might be famous names that you visit, we then see that, oh, like I might know this name, but the people behind it are just this family running a business. I would much rather support people than brands. Yeah, sure. exactly. I'm glad you mentioned that, Kim, about the, the family thing, because then, Vince, you went to Piemonte, Italy, the episode five, and you had a great story. And, th and this is the thing Kim and I always try to talk with our listeners about, the, the stories behind the wine. And in this episode, you really brought out the story of Pio Cesare. And you actually met this gentleman and you were interviewing his daughter and he had since passed away. It was just a great story showing his winery, showing how you had history with her dad in a, just a beautiful region. So at the story of that, was just a phenomenal background to the episode. Yeah, I think a lot of people resonated with that. And it, I don't want to say it was the first time we did something like that, but it was the first time that we had this weird confluence of events where I had met her dad. His name was Pio, Pio Bofa. And he was supposed to be the one who was largely on camera when we filmed the episode. But between the time that we planned the episode and locked it in and the time we filmed, he passed from COVID. And so his daughter, who is 23, uh, she might be 25 now, something like that, but very young, had to take over at a very young age. And you know, I got to talk to her a little bit about that. I think a lot of people who watch the episode are kind of struck how well she presents the brand mm -hmm. at such a young age. Mm -hmm. So it was something that was, I think, really, really unique. And I had the privilege of meeting her father, who's like the kind of guy who can light up a room. And, you know, she had big shoes to fill. And I think everybody is agreed that she's doing a great job with that. Yeah, I think that episode was the highlight of the season for me. You just you built such a nice narrative around focusing on that one winery and not only focusing on the wines and the different great varieties. And, you know, we talked about the differences between Barbaresco and Barolo and you threw the Barbera in there, but just that human story. And I completely agree. It's like at one point, after, you know, you did the the part about Pio Buffa having passed away and this young woman taking over, I'm like, wow, like that is an awful lot to be put on your shoulders unexpectedly. And yeah, kudos to her and it, a winery with such 
history. I think it's she's like the eighth generation, maybe. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't remember. I um, think I may I, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, but it was just a really powerful episode. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I think a lot of people, like you said, felt the same. And and sometimes I'm worried. You know, I come in and I'm say, okay, we're gonna do one brand. You know, we do that sometimes. Sometimes we do many brands. I go back and forth because it is nice to be able to tell those family yeah. stories when I can. Yeah. I thought it worked with this episode really well. So Thank you. You <laughs> my, also my husband was watching some of the episodes with me and he's like, he's really good. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, to do with me. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's pretty good behind the camera. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> uh, nothing to do with me. I just, you know, my goal when I get in there is just to try and be not neutral because obviously I have opinions on things, but just, I, I try and ask questions. I mean, the same way you guys do the reverse right now. I just try and come in curious and, and no, you're kidding. You like <laughs> light up the screen. <laughs> so Vince, I have to ask you when you were in Piemonte, you covered vermouth and Kim and I did mm. a, an episode talking about vermouth. And we always had this question about, we've seen some geeky things and we're going to hit your nerd lab knowledge here. When they make it, the <laughs> when they make it, are they using a base wine or are they using a wine must? Did you see them using a base wine? I, I don't know that exactly, but I'm 90% sure they use a fortified base wine. We always saw it's not because it's not distilled. It's still wine. It's not distilled. It's aromatized fortified wine. Okay. And then, then they add that fortification to get that little bit of extra, extra alcohol and extra protection on there. I, I was going to say, and protection, right? So yeah. then you can keep it, you know, behind a bar for, you know, not forever, not, not uh, like a spirit by any means but a little longer than you would just a, a good old fashioned wine. It was and cool did, that you started with that though. It was like, oh, that's a different direction. <laughs> well, going back to um, Federica, that was her idea. I mean, that, oh, yeah. they had that vermouth back, I don't know, 40 years ago, something. And then they kind of let it go. And then she wanted to take on that project. That was kind of like her baby. Hmm, how cool. And did you enjoy just drinking it straight? Have you ever had it like that before? Oh yeah, I love vermouth. I think in general, vermouth and like Italian aperitif liqueurs and French aperitif liqueurs are kind of underrated, at least here, because here you go to a bar and if you want that, like if I go up to a bar here and I get like a Pernod, right, which is a licorice liqueur from France, it's going to cost me the same as they would charge like a vodka shot. They usually charge like mm -hmm. 10 bucks, 12 bucks, 14 bucks. You're a nice place. If you're in Europe, it's like two bucks and they just start the meal with it. And it's such a cool thing. It's one of my favorite parts when I go to Europe. It's like me and Lille. Yeah, exactly. Lille, <laughs> same thing. Same thing. And the coffee, of course, because you spent an awful lot of time talking about coffee in this episode, I know. too. I can't keep up with my Italian crew. I, If oh. I try, I like feel sick by the end of the day because yeah. my Italian crew just is so used to pounding espresso all day. It's, it's a good time to talk about you talk about your crew. This is all self-funded by you, right? Vince, you have no production, independent production company behind. Everything is yours, right? Right. So the, the company is myself. And then what we do is we partner with a couple things. I mean, the main thing is we usually partner with wineries or wine boards in the region. We work with them to put together the episodes. Uh, and then we have our VIP club, which is a kind of a member-supported endeavor where essentially... You know, people join for a certain amount a month, five, 10 or 20 bucks a month, and you get early access to the episodes and raffles every month and some members only videos and just some extra perks. But I mean, the short answer is yes, we don't we're not sponsored by PBS or Amazon or anything like that. It's it's all us. 
And for four seasons, Vince, I've been hearing you say it. Well, three, the first three seasons, I hear you say that all the time in the episodes. And then the fourth season, you kind of had a different approach when you were talking to people during the shows. And I thought to myself, you know what? I have to support Vince. And I, I finally became a platinum member because I enjoy your stuff so much. And I, so I hope when our listeners watch your content, they understand how they can support you with those memberships. And there is so much more, like you said, behind the scenes footage, but also you sell or have some links to the wines in the show. And as a retailer, I know a lot of the times I can't get that stuff. And there's some really good deals that you put out for the club. So I want to thank you for that. And if sorry, it took me till the fourth season to, to become a member. No, no. And listen, for me, I, I think what I want to stress it is it, it's important to me that the show is always free. And that was important when I started the show, because to me, I started the show because I wanted wine education to be accessible. And there was only these expensive courses that you had to be physically present. And, you know, you maybe needed a sponsor. Like I got sponsored to do the classes from the hotel I worked at. But if I didn't have that, I was young. I couldn't have afforded them. And so for me, I want the show always to be free. But that's why I do it the way we do it, which is like, okay, I have this club. You get some extra perks. And if you want to support, I 100%, obviously, we appreciate it. It literally is what keeps us going. But that being said, you know, we will keep it free at least as, as long as we possibly can. Um, and if people want to support, it's always, always uh, appreciated. So your final episode of the season, you went to Bordeaux. And we know a lot about Bordeaux wines. You know, we teach a lot of Bordeaux wine classes. And what I found probably the most interesting thing about your visit there was that you had this focus less on the traditions of the region, like you did in, in Provence, like you did in Piedmont, and more on this up and coming generation of new owners, new winemakers, and how they're really trying to refresh the reputation of the region. And this is something that I have seen firsthand when I meet with folks from Bordeaux is there is this feeling of, oh, we're so old fashioned. Nobody likes us anymore. It's only the expensive stuff that people want. And it was very refreshing to see that the other perspective, that there are these younger folks who are really trying to make it so that it is something that is appreciated and accessible to a new generation of wine drinkers. Yeah, and I appreciate you noticing that. I mean, there's also a little bit of, I don't know if animosity is right, the right word, but a lot of the winemakers in Bordeaux kind of have this feeling. I mean, they never say it out loud, but when I talk to them, they're like, you know, the big guys get all the attention. Yeah, There's such a small portion of what we do here and they get all the focus. Everybody talks about the Grand Cruise and the, you know, the growths and things like that. And so to, to explore again, just going back to people and stories, explore family wineries and, and tell a little bit of that story and that there's so much wine here and you don't necessarily need to spend 50 bucks on a bottle of Bordeaux. In fact, if there's a region where like a, a classic region where you can still find really affordable stuff, I think Bordeaux is probably the one. And the, yeah, and the style differences. And you made a point over and over and over again that it's not just Cab and Merlot-based red wines. There's all of this other cool stuff out there. And I think especially their Cremants are really starting to get people's attentions because sparkling wine just continues to be a category that people are interested in. And the more and more that we talk about Cremant from all over France, I feel like the more interested people are getting in them. That was cool to see your, you know, your, your tasting and the, the food pairing part of it. As everybody knows, you know, food pairing is kind of my, my little favorite thing. But just how 
versatile uh, the wines are from the region and that you can pretty much get whatever, you know, if there's a style that you like, chances are you'll be able to find it in Bordeaux. A hundred percent. And, you know, you mentioned the Cremant, but then white Bordeaux to me is is just really this tremendous blend of yeah. lean and crisp from Sauvignon Blanc, but a little round and honeyed from Semillon. But yeah, there, there you could do a whole meal, a Bordeaux meal start to finish and cover every single style of wine. And you, we definitely don't think that right away. We always think Bordeaux reds, Bordeaux reds. So it's pretty fun. The part that really tickled me was your um, pairing of raw oysters with sauterne, um, cool. which I was like, what? <laughs> and then you said that it absolutely worked. So I was just sort of flabbergasted that that pairing would actually work. But yeah. The chef was so excited <laughs> oh when <my> God. <laughs> he told me about that before, like before even that, before we got on the camera, he's like, I've got a fun one for the oysters. He was so excited about it. And I had it with the Albarino and that's a natural pairing, yeah. right? So, um, but when you get it, Sauterne. So Sauterne is the sweet dessert wine for anybody who who doesn't know that. It's very honeyed um, and luscious. And then you have an oyster, which is, you know, salty and briny. But what you get is I, the best way I described it was like salted caramel, right? Yeah. That why we like that. What an amazing idea. We're doing a, a sweet wine. Uh, actually, it's we're doing a sweet Bordeaux industry event in a few weeks. And someone had mentioned oysters and I and I p totally poo pooed the idea. And now I have to go back and like apologize and be like, no, <laughs> we should get some oysters. I'm sorry. Yeah, at least at least give it a shot. Uh, I'm and listen, I don't know if I'd want it like every time I have oysters. Yeah, you know, this, but at the very least to do oysters more like a course, if you're doing it like that, it was really cool. Well, I'm, now I'm going to try it. So let's look forward, Vince. We talked about season four. I know you already have one episode of season five out. What else is coming up? Because I saw a thing called a Vino First. Can you explain to our listeners what's coming up in the yeah, season? Yeah, 100%. 100%. So I actually am making a big announcement this week of all the things we're going to do this year. But by the time the show airs, we will have said it so I can talk about it now. We'll we are outside. doing a bunch of new shows. So there's some give and take. So the the give that I have to ask for is that instead of releasing all the episodes all at once, which is what we used to do one a week for five weeks or seven weeks, we're spreading out the travel episodes across the year. And we're doing that because it allows our team and our editing crew to do a lot more instead of trying to kill ourselves producing all these episodes and this big launch at the same time. So you're still going to get five travel episodes per year. We released Virginia of season five and we're releasing Southern Roan hopefully in May. And then I've got a couple others. Uh, Chile will happen after that. We're going mm. down in two weeks. I cannot wait. We've never been to South America. And then I've got a couple others in the back half of the year that I can't say yet, but they're pretty much confirmed. So that's the travel show. So that's not going anywhere. We're doing about five per year. Then we're launching a new show called Vino First, which is my take on a studio cooking show. And so I'm taking the part of the show that a lot of people like, which is the food pairing. Kim, I know that's your... Yay. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking that and I'm making that its own thing. And so what it is, is, hey, here's our wine of the day. And then here's a dish or several dishes that pair with it. And here's why they work. And these will be 15 to 20 minute cooking shows. So that's happening. We'll release hopefully about five of those per year. Then we've got two other series that I'm launching one per month that are smaller. One is called C is for cocktails, and it's all about cocktails and cocktail theory. And these are baby episodes, five minutes, eight minutes. But I just love cocktails. I started as a bartender before I was a Psalm. And so we take a lot of the same approach we do with the Nerd Lab, but we're going to do it with cocktails. 
And then the final show is uh, Vino Blind. And that's just a little blind tasting series where if you're studying for an exam, especially, I'll mm-hmm. kind of go through. I blind myself. I put all the notes. You can guess. Obviously, I'll guess. And then we'll see if I'm right. So we have a whole bunch of content. And we'll do one of those per month as well. And so overall, a bunch of new shows throughout the year. And that's only possible because we've grown and have so many new Vino VIP members, including you, Mark, that allow us to do those kind of things. Sounds exciting. I'm looking yeah, forward. Yeah, that's and- amazing. And Kim and I are hoping that at some point you're going to do or take a visit to Massachusetts or New England and we can meet and have some wine. That would be incredible. So Vince, why don't you tell our uh, audience one more time where they can see your show, where they can find it online? Yeah. So if if you want to watch the show, the easiest way is our YouTube channel, which is just at V is for Vino on YouTube. If you search V is for Vino, it'll come right up. All our content is going to be up there uh, if you want ad free. So because on the YouTube channel, we do have ads. If you want to watch it ad free, you can join Vino VIP and you get a bunch of perks, including not having to deal with the the ads on YouTube. Um, and it's on our website too. And on the website, we have some specials. Sometimes we can offer, not all the time, but sometimes we can offer some of the wines from the episodes and things like that. So uh, definitely worth checking out our website as well. Well, thank you, Vince. It's always a pleasure talking with you. And I'm glad our listeners get to hear the person behind the show. And I hope everybody checks it out. And uh, I highly recommend the exercise while you're doing it because uh, it'll keep you going longer. <laughs> well, I appreciate thanks. all the uh, all the insightful questions. You guys always come prepared, so I, I really appreciate it. Well, thanks again for meeting with us today. Like Mark said, we really enjoy watching the show, and that we're we're really glad that we can bring information about what you're doing and um, how you're benefiting sort of the world of wine education to our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening today to The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine and past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. And we want to say thank you to our special guest today, Vince Anter from V is for Vino. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.